Okay, we're going to be reading in Joshua chapter 10 today, but let, let's turn to Joshua chapter 9 first because there was a portion that we skipped last week because really the first two verses of Joshua chapter 9 are an introduction actually to Joshua chapter 10. And uh, so, so um, here's, here's what it says, Joshua chapter 9 verse 1. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight Joshua with all Israel. <clears throat> so let me, let me reiterate where we were. So the children of Israel wandered here in the desert for about 40 years. They came up from the east side and they attacked they attacked the two kings, Sion and Og, that were on the, on the east side of the Jordan and overcame them. So they're already controlling this side of the Jordan. Here's the Jordan River, runs from here to here, from the Sea of Galilee, of the Sea of Chinnereth, all the way down to the, to the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. And, um, and then they came across the Jordan here. We read about that. They came across the Jordan. They attacked Jericho. They set up a home base in this place, Gilgal. And then they came across. They've already attacked Ai and Bethel. And there's other places in the Bible you can read. Whenever it speaks of Ai, it will often mention Bethel. They were like sister, sister cities. They're, they're very close. They're probably within a mile of each other and they're on, on neighboring hills. And, uh, and so Bethel fought along with Ai. Those both fell. Then we read last week how the Gibeonites from this town right here, Gibeon, had, uh, had deceived the children of Israel and they became then a part of Israel and became an integral part. Many references to them, three references in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, how they even came back from captivity with them. They went into captivity, came back from captivity and God really protected them. And there in this, this land, this area that was going to be part of Benjamin, Benjamin came right up and, and nestled right up against Jerusalem. Jerusalem was right on the border between Judah and, and, and Benjamin. And, and David, in fact, built his home on the Benjamin side, uh, really to befriend the Benjaminites because they were upset with him because uh, uh, he had taken over from Saul, who was from Benjamin. And now what we're going to read is that how in this chapter, Gibeon is going to be attacked by five kings, starting with the king of Jerusalem, and he's going to make an agreement with five of these other kings, starting as far down as Hebron, five of these others, and they're all going to attack Gibeon. And then Joshua, who has gone back to Gilgal. So remember, this is a 20-mile bar here. So from, from uh, Bethel down to Gilgal is about 10 miles, and, uh, uh, or 8 miles, but it's about 3,500 feet march upward from, from uh, uh, where Gilgal is. And then they, they're going to, to attack them and then they're going to come down and follow these red arrows because this is actually a map of the conquest of Canaan. And so there, here's where they first came in and now we're going to follow along this arrow. They're going to attack in this region, in this chapter. So, that's where we are geographically. And in, in chapter 1... In chapter one of, uh, in, in verse one of, of Joshua chapter nine, verse one and two, it talks about how all these people, it says, it says uh, uh, beyond the Jordan, 
and in the hill country. The area I just showed you is considered the hill country. And along the coast, that means all the way to the Great Sea, all the way to the Mediterranean, toward Lebanon. Lebanon is up in this area, toward Lebanon. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, all heard of it. Jebusites being those from, from Jerusalem heard of it, and they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight Joshua and Israel. So, here we take it in our day and age, like, oh, ho-hum, five kings gather, big deal. Well, imagine five kings gathering against Israel. This is a very big deal to these people. So, let's pick it up in, in Joshua chapter 10, reading from verse 1. Now, it came about when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as one had done to Jericho, just as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, that he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites, the, kings, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up. They went, they with all their armies, and they camped by Gibeon and fought against it. So remember, Gibeon is, remember we read last week in Joshua chapter 9, Gibeonites were the ones that had deceived Israel. Israel made a covenant with them, and they couldn't break that covenant now. And so how we're supposed to keep our word. And then Gibeon is now attacked, the city of Gibeon, right there, is going to be attacked by five of these kings led by the king of Jerusalem. Now, why was the king so concerned? Well, first of all, the king's name was, was Adonai Zedek. Adonai Zedek. Now, if you remember from the book of Genesis, there was a man, a king of Salem called Melchizedek. And he's referred to again in the book of, uh, of Hebrews in the New Testament. But Melchizedek was from, it says, it says Salem. This is the first reference in Joshua chapter 10 is the first reference to Jerusalem using that entire name. Prior to that, it was called Salem. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Melchizedek mean, means... Uh, um, uh, so, so Melchizedek... I have the meaning here. I wrote it down. It's, um, so Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and, and, and Adonai Zedek is the lord of righteousness. So Zedek is this dynastic name of Jerusalem, formerly called Salem, now referred to as Jerusalem. So this is the dynastic name, the Zedek part, and Adonai meaning Lord, Lord of Righteousness. Well, whereas Melchizedek meant King of Righteousness. So he organizes these four other kings with him, these four other kings from these particular lands, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashik, and Lashik, Lachish and Eglon, right down here across 
And so he, he organizes them and he pulls them all together. He says, we better fight against Gibeon. And he says, Gibeon was a great city unlike Ai. Ai was a much smaller city. He says, Gibeon is a great city. And it turns out that Gibeon, right here, that city is a city that bisected two trade routes. There was a trade route east, east-west. There was a trade route north-south. So if, if, if Gibeon was taken, then Jerusalem, and, uh, which is below it, is going to be, have its trade routes cut off. So it was a major problem for them. It, w- it would be like if, if, uh, if Dallas were taken over by, by some aliens or something. And, and, and uh, uh, we'd be kind of concerned about that. And uh, so, so um, I, yeah, I was going to say a people group, but I've learned I'm not allowed to say mention any people group names. So just say aliens. You're still allowed to pick on aliens. Um, so, so, um, uh, and anyway, where were we? So he's really concerned about this, and so he gathers these five kings, and they come up against Gibeon. Now, remember, Gibeon had submitted itself to become a vassal state of the children of Israel. So they don't have to fight their own battles. Part of being a vassal state is that they get Israel to defend them. Plus, there's five kings coming against this city of Gibeon. So in verse 6, the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. Verse 7 of Joshua chapter 10. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. Now we're going to come back and spend some time on that verse in just a moment. But let's continue on through. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And he pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran, and struck them as far as Azekah and Mekadah. And they fled from before Israel while they were at the descent of Beth Beth Haran. The Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than those, of the sons of, those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon, in the valley of Ayalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nations avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like it, that before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. So this is a summary of the battle. And then it goes into more detail the further down verses that we go in this chapter. So he gives us a quick summary of this battle. So the men in Gibeon, they go down, they send some messengers from Gibeon down to Gilgal, this 10-mile descent, this 10-mile travel, 3,500 feet down to Gilgal. They say, hey, we're under attack. Come and help us. You're, You're our vassal state. Joshua asks the Lord, and the Lord says, go ahead and do it. Go, at, go after these people. Now, remember what we said after Jericho, 
there is a difference now in the way that, that, that miracles occur. There's a difference. Jericho, they marched around the city and the walls fell down. The walls not only fell down, the ground probably opened up because it says the walls fell flat. You don't get all those stones to fall flat unless the ground is going to open up and consume that because it says the people ran in straight ahead. They, weren't, they were just marching around the city and they shout and the walls fall. In this case, and from here on in, they are doing, they're, they're exercising military strategy. In the midst of the exercising of military strategy, they see God doing miracles. And this is what life is like. That sometimes you just see miracles. God just miraculously intercedes. And other times you've got to go about your daily work. And then in that, God does miracles. God does things in our daily work. But they were doing their daily battle. They went up and they marched against him. It says, so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. And then in, in, in uh, uh, verse 9 it says, So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. So they were totally unaware of this. So he surprised them. And this is what we're going to see. He wins victory out of vict- after victory by surprising them. You may say, well that's not fair. He should announce himself. I mean, he should be, you know, he shouldn't overwhelm them like this. No, he overwhelmed them. And in war, there is surprise. Surprise! We're here. We marched all night. And he marched all night, 3,500 feet up this mountain. And they attacked him. And they attacked those five kings that had gathered around Gibeon. They attacked the five kings. And they, they, it, it says that, that they attacked them. And it says now in verse 10, And the Lord confounded them before Israel. So it is not just human attack. It is not just us who go into our work and do our work. It says, and God confounded them before Israel. So you see, God is working very closely with them. If you want to walk as a believer, if you want to walk as as a believer, not to say that you're not a believer, but if you want to walk as a believer in your line of work, if you will trust the Lord to do amazing things through you, you will accomplish far more in your careers than you had ever imagined possible just based on your own knowledge. And I have seen this over and over again. I have people come up to me and they say, how do you manage all this? How do you have all these projects going? I'm like, I don't know. Just glory to God. I mean, there's all these things happening. I don't know how we're confounding this area and confounding that area. Because it's God who does it. It's God who intercedes. Do you see that as believers, it is God who intercedes on our lives? It is God who does these things. You, you can make a decision to just walk like a normal person walks. To have no, no particular difference between you and any other uh, physician or any other engineer or any other scientist or any other business person of the world. You can make a decision that you're just going to do this all on your own. You are free to do that. Or you can say, no, I'm a believer. I'm going to walk as a believer And I'm going to trust God to do amazing things through my life as a believer. That's the difference. Very few believers ever tap into this. That, Lord, I am going to believe you to do great things through my life. Most of the time what happens is we just get our own little pity parties. And, and, oh, woe is me. The Lord must be against me. Oh, woe is me. 
This is not the testimony of Scripture. It is not. The testimony of Scripture is that He stands with His people. The testimony of Scripture is that even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of difficulty, we can shine. We can shine spiritually. This is what He has for you if you will take it. The Lord is confounding these people in front of Him. Yes, it's not easy. He did what nobody thought Israel would do. He marched all night up this mountain, 3,500 feet, and it's hard to march on that stuff. Shireen and I had, had uh, just a couple years ago, so, so we, we were, I was in Israel, and the, these Israelis are, 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 have, are, have licensed three of our technologies. So three companies have started around uh, three parts of, of our technology, and they wanted to, to express their gratitude to me. And so what they did is, is that Shireen and I were visiting there. I was teaching at Hebrew University for a month, and these Israeli business people, they wanted to give us a, a, a tour of this area. They said, what do you want to see? I, see, I said, I've seen a lot, but I said, I, I like to see biblical battlegrounds. And, uh, and so they got a man named Arnon Sofer. Arnon Sofer is, is a professor up in Haifa, up in Haifa, which is uh, um, right about there now. It's not on that map. Haifa didn't exist at, at this time. But, but uh, it's right about there. And, and they got this professor, and he is the chief demographer for Israel. He, is about, he was in his late 70s at the time. And, uh, uh, and he is the guy who drew all the lines for the divisions between where Israel would be and where the Palestinian borders would be, you know, all these countries. He's the guy who drew them all. He's the guy who drew, drew the borders for, for the West Bank as well. He's the chief demographer. He really knows maps really well. And, uh, and, and he's a master with math. And so then they pull up in a... In a uh, so they, they, they rent this, this Mercedes small bus for Shireen and I and, a, and those business people and, and their wives and our known so fair. And, you know, there's, there's a big refrigerator in there. I mean, this is, this is really, you know, the kind of tours that I like. I don't like just having to tromp around. And I want to just ride in a Mercedes and <laughs> see where these battles were. Air conditioned. I mean, this is this is exactly how you want to travel. And so we went up here, and he took us right up to a hill. Uh, uh, so 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 this this is Gibeon right up in here, and and he t- took us up to this hill, and it's the hill where where uh, where Saul was anointed king uh, by by uh, Samuel, and uh, we we stood up on this hill, and at the very top of the hill was a mosque, and. And as soon as Arnon Sofer started walking up there, the guys who, who, who are the Israeli guards of the area immediately knew him because he, he, he instructs so much the, the Israeli military. And immediately they thought that I was really important because he was giving me the tour. So they thought, you know, I was, I was the man. And the chief rabbi of Jerusalem was there at the time too. So all of a sudden he wanted to meet me. Because I was with our known Sofer, and so if he figures Sofer has given me a tour, I must be really important. So all of a sudden, and so then the Israeli guards start taking pictures with me. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain to them, I'm, I'm really not that important. I mean, <laughs> but they thought I was. And, and, you know, because we had this really nice vehicle and everything. And so then, then he wanted us to have a better view. So they opened up a special door and allowed us on the roof of the mosque. I mean, this is not normally allowed. 
but, you know, I was this important guy. And from the roof of the mosque, you stand up there, you can just look across. You can see Jerusalem, you can see Hebron, you can see all the different cities around this. And then after that, then we went down, and in, in, that, in that Mercedes, we drove this route. It was really quite nice. It wasn't rough at all. And, and we drove that route. And, and, uh, um, and we, we stopped at all these different towns that Joshua had attacked. And they're all built on hills. And so we, we saw this firsthand. And it's really amazing to see these different things that were happening. But he came. But if you try to walk on that territory, especially from Jericho up that hill, it's hard to walk because the ground is very soft underneath you. So it's not an easy march. This is what life is. Why wouldn't God just smooth the way? You know, make it sort of like a streets of gold like heaven? No, he doesn't do that in life. Life is not like that. The ground was giving way underneath them. And Joshua was saying, march. Come on, we're tired. March. 3,500 feet. And then, as soon as they get there, attack. These guys must have been physically wiped out. This is the way Christian life is. It is not always easy. But then God works miraculously within that. It is not always easy. You've got exams you've got to study for. Why doesn't God just you know, wave some magic wand and you, you know, just download the data into my mind? I mean, He can certainly do that. But He doesn't. That is not the way He operates. And so, it is hard labor. But then God is confounding the enemy before them. And then what He does is He starts striking them with hailstones. So from the descent of Beth Haran, He threw stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. So, um, here is, where is Beth Haran? Um, I don't see it. Here is Azekah. So, so Beth, Beth Haran is about in here. So there was just a short segment in here. This is Beth Chemesh. I don't think that's Beth Haran. But it was just this short segment in here. So over a short segment, he starts casting down hailstones that kill more people than the sword killed. I mean, God's really working for them. So the miracles are coming while they're laboring in this. And then they go through. And then Joshua says, you know, we need more daylight here. So he had marched all night, attacked them by surprise. And now he needs more daylight. And there was something that has never happened before. And some people, you know, I've read different writings on this. How, what, how, how do people interpret this? And some writers try to interpret it away. Oh, well, you know, it was really bright at night. You know, there was a full moon or something. But then if that were just the case, you would, you would have to say, what's the big deal about it? I mean, there's full moons all the time. Sometimes there's nights that are lighter than others. But no, this was really miraculous. This was something that never happened before. And it says right here that something like this has never happened before. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? Jashar is referenced several times in the Old Testament. We don't have that book. That is not a book that, that human beings have found. And the, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day in verse 13. There was no day like that before it before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of man, for the Lord, Lord fought for Israel. You've never seen a day like this. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, this has happened seven times before in history. Never happened before. And the Bible tells us it never happened before and it's never going to happen again to have a day like that day. But God intercedes on behalf of His people. This happens today. God intercedes on behalf of His people. 
I have prayed so many times over my own research work. You say, well, why do you do that? Because if I were a farmer, I'd pray over my crops. But I'm not a farmer. I don't know how to farm. But I know how to have a laboratory. So this is where I'm going to pray. This is the little place in this little spot in human history. This little window in human history. All of human history is where He has placed me. And I'm going to pray because that's my plot of land. And I'm going to pray that God moves and does great things through our work. Things that I never could have imagined. You can do the same thing if you will but believe. The Scripture says, Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. In Hebrews 11.6 Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you do not believe that God will reward you, if you seek Him, you won't get the reward. You must believe this. You want to receive the blessing of God? Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek Him, He will reward you. If you seek Him, He will reward you. That doesn't mean it's easy. You're going to have to go up a 3,500 foot ascent on soft ground in the middle of the night and then fight for another 24 hours past that. Christian life is never easy. He never promises us to give us an easy life. But what He promises us is His presence. His presence goes with us. Paul said, He stood at my right hand and said, You have solemnly testified of me in Jerusalem. You must testify of me in Rome also. And Paul did not know at the time that on his way to getting to Rome, you'd say, okay, Jesus has said I'm going to Rome to testify also. Okay, maybe he'll just pick me up. I'm transported there. He's done that before in the Bible. He has, like with Stephen the Evangelist. He did this. But why, why, why didn't, why didn't he, 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 just, he just do this again? He didn't just do it again. He didn't just do it. That was actually with, with Philip. But he didn't just do it again. What he did with Paul is he said, oh, by the way, you're going to to take the scenic route. You're going to spend two years in prison in Caesarea on your way to Rome. Small detail, I just never told you in the beginning. Oh, and and by the way, Paul, you're also going to be involved in a shipwreck. And, uh, uh, And you're going to be stuck on the island of Malta for four months. Oh, and, and, yeah, and a viper is going to bite you as well. And then you're, going to, then you're going to get to Rome. It's like, imagine if he had told Paul all that up front. Paul would be like, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'd rather not go. I mean, he doesn't tell us up front. I mean, if, if he told us up front the problems we're going to go through, the pains we're going to go through, who'd do it? Who would do it? So you don't tell them. It's like when I, when I, when I hire students, I know what the project's going to be like. I mean, it's trench work. And, and, and they're going to be chained to that bench. and they're going to work. But I don't tell them that. I said, this is going to be great. You have no idea. This, you're, going to be just, you're going to be a rock star. When you graduate from this place, you're going to be a rock star. This is such an amazing project. And in my mind, I know the hours that they're going to have to go through. But I don't tell them. They don't have to know. It, it, I wouldn't be able to recruit anybody. So, so this is what happens in life. This is part of life. Let's turn to, to, uh, uh, to Romans, Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter eight, 
Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start reading at uh, let's start reading at verse we'll start reading at verse 31. Romans 8:31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Romans 8:31. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a, a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So look at all the things He says you're going to go through. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness or sword. And so you think, well, it's okay. Jesus is with me. Okay. Next verse, 36. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It is not easy to walk as a believer. It is not easy. Yes, the truth of God is this. He loves us. The truth of God is there, that He will deliver us. But it is not easy. He says, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. For your sake, for your sake, Lord, we are being put to death all day long. People will ridicule you if you walk as a believer. People will make fun of you. People will affect your career negatively knowing you're a believer if you're willing to take a stand. Things like that happen in life. But he tells us we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You take this verse, you make it a part of your life. This is exactly what the New Testament does. It takes Old Testament passages. It took this passage in in verse 36 of Romans, Romans 8, verse 36, is actually quoted from Psalm 44, 2. Psalm 44.2 is talking about, the psalmist is talking about the pains and the struggles Israel is going through in that day. In that day. This New Testament writer took that verse from 700 years earlier and applied it to his day in the first century A.D. Is he allowed to do that? Absolutely. This is what the Scriptures tell us to do. The New Testament does this all the time. It takes an Old Testament passage and it applies it to the lives of the New Testament believers. And this is what he wants us to do. To take this passage from the New Testament and apply it to our lives. This is the way you will get your strength. This is the way you will prevail. You take the Word of God and you make it your meditation. And you say, Lord, do this in, the, in, in my life. You take this passage, verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. And you make this your memorization, your meditation. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through Him who loved us. And you take it and as you meditate on it, you just pick it apart. But in all these things, in all these, what things? Everything you're going through in life. You got, a, you got an asbestos problem in your walls? In all these things, you're overwhelmingly conquered. 
You know, you got, you got an accounting exam in front of you. In all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Overwhelmingly conquer. We don't just conquer. We overwhelmingly <laughs> conquer. This is what the Scriptures say. We overwhelmingly conquer. I have seen this again and again. I was an undergraduate. I'll tell you my story. I was an undergraduate struggling in freshman chemistry. You go, oh, that couldn't be. I didn't know what was going on. They had dropped me into an honors class, and I needed to be in with the masses. And I prayed. I prayed and, and, and because I got saved in November of my, of my freshman year, and everything changed because I started to pray over my work. I, I got through that semester with a B plus, And then just I started to pray these things through. When I took organic chemistry, I thought, oh, organic chemistry. And then I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I just, just ate this stuff for lunch. And, 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 and then I took every organic chemistry class, every graduate organic chemistry class that I could take in the university, I took as an undergraduate. And it just, God just blessed over and over and over again. I saw the same sort of thing happen in graduate school. You can pray. You can pray and say, Lord, do this. Do this. It says you will overwhelmingly conquer. I don't know what grades he's going to give you in your particular classes, but I do know one thing. If you walk with him in faith, he will bring you up in whatever he has for you. That he will do. Because he says in all these things you overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Through him, through Jesus. Lord, you love me. So you see, when you take that one verse and you make it your meditation, how rich it is. How all of this is there. Lord, you love me. That's even in this verse. You just pull it right into yourself and you will prevail. You will prevail. This is the testimony. Why else would he give us Joshua chapter 10? Why would he give it to us? If not to encourage us to take hold of what's there. If not to encourage us to believe what's there for our own lives. It's not just a history book. This is our life. The scripture says, this is not an idle word for you in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Indeed, it is your life. This is your life. Take it and walk in it. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for the word of God and for the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for these young people that you would fill them to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Father, for those that know you, let them take hold of you and walk in the truth of your word. And Lord, for those that don't know you or for those that have wandered away from the faith, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to the feet of Jesus, that they would draw to the feet of Jesus in repentance and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And Father, that you would do a great thing through their lives. Lord, before their hearts become too hardened, may they come to you or come back to you. Have mercy on these young people, I pray. Lord, I pray that they'd be able to take your word and extract precious truth for their own lives. For the glory, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.